as quick as I can. <laughs> In this you greatly rejoice, even though now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Obtaining is the outcome of your faith, no. the salvation of your souls. Let's pray. Lord, as we continue through our Advent season, we are reminded that no matter what may befall us in this world, that you have not forgotten us, that the trials of this life are for the purification of our souls, for the uplifting of your kingdom, for the building up of your people. Lord, strengthen us that we would walk faithfully, trusting, loving, and serving what is ultimately to be your kingdom. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Over here. 
got this thing where it's not going to make any more squelches and now it won't turn off and on. I'm telling you, Vern, the sound system doesn't like me. Uh-oh, I should be hiding somewhere. Well, <laughs> yeah. News, oh, that means the bad news. I should be hiding. You know me too well. Thank you. Um, your purse is over there. I'll... <laughs> you hand me something, I go, where's my wife's purse? That's. <laughs> that's, that's... says, why do you take such a big purse everywhere? <laughs> <laughs> well, I have to justify its existence. There, that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Thank you. Uh, believe it or not, despite what I do for a living, I despise being the center of attention. So <laughs> that's why I want to go hide somewhere. All right. couple of things. Um, let's see. Mike, you didn't die. Go team. <laughs> there you go. So um, Mike is back with us. Judy is back with us. Um, Jan tested negative. Uh, Amanda and Olivia tested negative. So that's good news. Yes, um, I do. Bob and Carolyn decided to come visit us. <laughs> so make sure you say hello to them. Although be careful. They're from one of the free states now. So <laughs> that's how I'm referring to them. Uh, Hang on. I have a list. I should probably look at it. Um, Sam and Shelby, they are doing well. Sam Sam is free of quarantine. He is just now getting over pneumonia at this point. So they sent him home with an oxygen tank, and he's just using that. They, uh, 
The health department told them they're free to go, good to go and do whatever. The doctor's office has warned them, though. His doctors basically said, don't be surprised if it's four to six weeks for you to get strength back, to get energy back. I mean, he's, what is Sam, 85, 84, somewhere in there? So, I mean, if he can get strength back in four to six weeks, I think he's doing pretty well, considering he's had heart surgery, heart surgery this year and everything else that's going on. They're doing all right, though. I know they have a doctor's appointment Tuesday where they'll get another bit of update and go from there. So if you get a chance, give them a call. They'd appreciate it. They're just kind of hanging out at the house right now because neither one of them really has the, the, the strength and the gumption to do much more beyond that. But if you get a chance, give them a call. They would appreciate it. A couple of reminders. Business meeting after the service today. I promise it will be short. We will get you in plenty of time for the kickoff. <laughs> Oh, that's, so you're good to go. So um, The other thing is Missions Project. The crib is out there. Some stuff has been brought. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, there is a shopping list on the side if you would like to contribute. Those are all the items we are going to deliver to the Pregnancy Care Center in the either end of January, 1st of February, you know, depending on how it goes. What will end up happening is I'll say the end of January. I will then forget that I said the end of January, and everyone at the end of January will ask me if I can still bring our stuff. And I will say yes, and we'll be in February. So can we just all agree that's how it's going to go from the start? So, and then there we go. Now now you know. So the list is up there. One thing, it is on the list, but I will point it out. Um, new items. New items only. I know it is on there, and you can all read, but I just want to make sure I highlight that because they highlight that. So if you can grab a shopping list and bring those items for the care center, they would appreciate it. I would appreciate it. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, Christmas Eve is Thursday, correct? Yes. Uh, 7 o'clock here, we will have our Christmas Eve service, uh, bring snacks. That's We'll kind of do it like we've done the last couple of years. We'll set up the coffee and get stuff out here, bring a couple of snacks. We'll go, you know, 7, 7.30-ish until we know everybody's here and ready to go, and then we'll make our way in, have our service. We will probably be done between 8 and 8.30 if we start at 7. Sound good? Make sense? That's the plan. I know some folks have asked me again in years past, you know, we used to do it much later, and I'm like, yeah, I have children. <laughs> I have to get them in bed at some point, and I have to get me in bed at some point. When you schedule things after 9 o'clock, you are after my bedtime. <laughs> so I can't keep cogent thoughts when I'm awake. Can you imagine what happens when I get sleepy? <laughs> See, nobody wants that. So there you go. So 7 o'clock here, Christmas Eve. That's the 24th for those of you who just aren't sure. Just making sure. All right. Anything. That is everything on my list. Is there anything that I am forgetting? Going once. Oh, oh, make sure. Make sure you notice our snazzy new blinds. I'm, I can see today because the sun is right there, and Elaine and Jeff did an awesome job and put some blinds up, so I can actually see stuff now. Because when Elaine puts her hand up and says, I forgot something, all I ever see is movement of shadows because of the glare. So now I can actually see Elena. Go team. So, yes, sir. I'm getting them. Right, if you're not getting them, uh, either uninstall and reinstall or check your notifications. You might have to play with the settings because I know they did an update and changed some stuff. So I redid my notification settings and I get all of them now, so that works. Well, you know how those people are, so. <laughs> so. Yeah, if nothing else, just check the little pray button because that's what I do. I'd make sure I click to let you know that I did get them. But but yeah, if you have if you aren't getting the notifications on the on pray, then uh, double check your notification settings. Yes, sir. Okay, that's Joe from the. Yes. They're 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 beating them up right now, aren't they? 
contest. So, how long is his uh, is his schedule for right now? Oh my goodness, fifteen weeks. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know my sentiments exactly. <laughs> I don't know what else to say about that other than Ugh. so yeah. So be in prayer for Joe. He will definitely, definitely need it. Anything else? All right, in that case, what does Jesus's other name, Emmanuel, mean? This is the one you say out loud. <laughs> See, if I don't warn you, this is the one you're allowed to say. So yeah, God with us. So this is the mess up, right? Because Isaiah tells you the child will be born and you shall call his name Emmanuel. And then Jesus is announced and you're told what? His name will be Jesus. So Jesus got the wrong name and Isaiah was wrong and therefore nobody, nothing exists, right? No. Remember what you get in your Old Testament. We've covered this a bunch when we go through the Old Testament. We'll continue pointing it out. We have what we call types and shadows. All right? You get pictures of the work of Christ that is to come. So, like when we're, our men's Bible study has just found one of these, or not found one of these, just look at one of these in the book of 1 Samuel. You're reminded in the birth of Samuel in 1 Samuel 1 that from the tribe of Levi, a barren woman praying for a child who will be devoted to God. It's not a full picture of Christ, but it's what? It's a partial picture. Then you realize that Samuel is supposed to be what? He's the last of the judges. He's one of the first of the major prophets, and he is the transition from the rule of the judges to the rule of the kings. So he gets you from the lack of a monarchy to a monarchy, part of that bridge that builds us to Christ. That's When you're reading through your Old Testament, these are the things you want to look for. How does this event, how does this thing get me to the work of Christ? Because that's what your Old Testament is doing. Conversely, you see that with Isaiah. Emmanuel means God with us. It's a description not of the name of Christ, but of the function, the job of Christ. His name is Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. But his title is basically Emmanuel. He is God in flesh. Make sense? Okay. Don't say this one out loud. Okay? This is the one you don't say. Don't say it. Last week when the kids knew the answer, and they were like, mm. All right. Who visited Joseph, Mary, and Jesus on the night he was born? Pay attention. There's a reason for the question. It'll be fun little Christmas research this week. You know, do it around the, the hot cocoa. It'll be enjoyable. All right. Last chance. Anything else I'm forgetting? In that case, read your Bible. Do you good? I'm going to stop talking so we can <laughs> continue on singing. The first Noel, the angels did say, was to certain poor shepherds in fields as they lay, in fields where they lay, a keeping their sheep, on a cold winter's night. Shining in the 
I do have one other Christmas song that I learned this week that I think we should share because I laughed harder than you guys will, although some of you might be offended, but I think it'll be okay. He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He'll keep on preaching anyway. It's his job for goodness sake. <laughs> I saw them like, ooh. And just so you know, when I read that the first time, I could see exactly where you were sitting when you fall asleep. <laughs> the one good thing about my memory is that's why you'll, that's why you'll see me mention somebody and point because I'm pointing where they normally sit because that's how I picture you in my brain. So it's just like when I talk about Clark, when Clark's not here, I always point because that's where Clark's always sitting. So <laughs> that's what somebody tries to, they sit on the left-hand side. I'm like, your left or my left? Because my left is over here and your left is over there. And I have to stop and think about these things. So all the things you got to worry about. But something that we don't have to worry about, something useful and productive, the book of Luke. We are finishing our walk through the birth, although we will not complete it through the Gospel of Luke because, as you will see in your reason for the question, there is more reading to be done, so I will leave that to you as we get there. Plus, we can finish it at the Christmas Eve service. So if you want to get the rest of the story, you know, uh, oh, shoot, what's his name? Just went right out of my head. Paul Harvey, thank you. I'm sitting there. All I got was Harvey, and I went, Harvey Dent, that's not right. That's Batman. <laughs> Oh, it's see, it's going to be one of those days. So if you want to get the rest of the Paul Harvey information, you got to come to the Christmas Eve service. That's as close as I get to a plug as we go. So John 1.14, I know that's not Luke 2, but it's a good place to start. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. As we have gone through this and as we go through this this morning, please never forget what is occurring in this story? It is not just about a child in a manger. This is God, the eternal almighty, entering into humanity directly, taking on flesh for the redemption of his people. That is a powerful and important reminder that we need to have. We don't want to just get focused on, oh, it's it's silent night, which I I love the song Silent Night, by the way, but it is the hallmark channel of Christmas songs. Because everyone who's ever had a child go, a sleeping child made no noise. I don't believe it. I've had children. They don't do that. So we don't want to just get lost in the sweet and calm of Christmas. We have to remember that God is at work in doing mighty things. So with that reminder, let's read verses 1 through 7 of Luke chapter 2. Now in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. 
While they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now, a couple of things. If you are a history person and you enjoy apologetics, today is your day. We're going to cover a lot of that because it is necessary. Because when it comes to Christmas, this passage of scripture is of the most attacked and most misused in church history, believe it or not. So we, there's a lot for us to cover. And I was, it was pointed out to me the, uh, this past week that we've thrown the Catholics under the bus a couple of times at Christmas. <laughs> well, because it's come up, and I'm just going to warn you ahead of time, we're probably going to do it again. So just, you've been warned, so when we get there, don't be offended. I'm just, you know, if you want to argue with me, that's fine. You have to show me where in the Bible I'm wrong, and I will be happy to change my mind. So there you go. So back to the beginning. Let's get started. Now, in those days, what days? The days that have already been mentioned in the Gospel of Luke, Luke 1.5, in the days of Herod, king of Judea. Now, as we have been working through, we have hopscotched about six months since the birth of John. So we are really hopscotching nine months or so from where we were last week. So in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. All right, Caesar Augustus, he's not just a salad. He's an important guy, making sure you're paying attention. Why do this? Why, why are we having a census? If you noticed as we've gone through, through this, how many times we've mentioned, you know, the, the just so happened? Like, it just so happened that Zacharias was the priest who was chosen for temple duty that day. It just so happens that Caesar Augustus is calling out a census. If you remember back to what we were doing in Exodus, all right, that's not going to work, buddy. <laughs> Got to go that way with him. If you remember what we've been going through in Exodus, who is in charge here? God is. Proverbs 21. The king's heart is like channels of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wishes. We've seen this with Pharaoh. If you continue reading in your Old Testament, you'll see it with Nebuchadnezzar. You'll see it with Cyrus. There are none beyond his reach. From the lowest of the low to the highest of the high. Good, bad, and ugly. God's purposes and planning will be accomplished. Rome will participate in that accomplishment. Um, good reminder of that when we talk about Rome. Galatians 4. In the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman. Why? Why now? Well, this is where your world history helps to come in. Um, we are in the midst, well, not the midst, we are in the beginning of what will historically be known as the Pax Romana. Beginning with Caesar Augustus, who was, my, my names keep going out of my head, who I believe was Octavian, uh, nephew, adopted nephew of Julius Caesar. Beginning with Caesar Augustus and going through really the reign of Marcus Aurelius, you have 200 plus years of general peace and security in the Roman Empire. That's why it's called the Pax Romana, the Roman peace. You could, for the most part, travel. Why? Roman roads. They were great engineers. They were so good. There are still roads in Italy today that the Roman Empire built that they drive cars on. Makes you want to call the DOT and complain, doesn't it? <laughs> They built those highways. They're good. Their soldiers upheld the peace. They were good at their job. You could, for the most part, walk or travel by horse or cart anywhere in the empire in relative safety. I mean, it's not 
like, you know, you driving across the interstate now and not having to worry about somebody sideswiping you. But as far as this world was concerned, it was relatively safe. This is important for the work of guys like Paul, Peter, the church, the synagogue system that had spread out from the temple because the Jews had been dispersed. All of this is part of God's timetable and God's schedule. Rome is a part of that, including with a census. Now, verse 2. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. Believe it or not, this is where the wheels come off for a lot of Bible people. And you're going, why? I don't even know who any of these people are or what's going on here. All right. This is, the, this is used to discredit Luke because we have some historical issues we have to work through. Quirinius was the governor of Syria from 6 to 9 AD. All right. Who here sees the problem right off the bat? Yeah, yeah. See, we, we've missed something. Now, I know we've, we've explained this a couple weeks ago that they counted wrong. And so Jesus was not born in year one. He was actually born between 6 and 4 B.C. So how can we get Jesus born from 6 to 4 B.C. while Quirinius is governor in 6 to 9 A.D.? From archaeological records, it looks like we have found that there was a general census in this world about every 14 years or so. And Quirinius was the governor in Syria from 6 to 9, and he administered the census in 6 A.D. while governor there. But how did Quirinius become governor of Syria in 6 AD? Like, did he just know a guy? Like, hey, I, I got a favor I need. He had earned that job because prior to this, around 8 BC, now, when did I tell you censuses were typically taken? Every how many years? So 6 AD, go back, where are we? 8 BC, Quirinius was a general commanding an army in Syria in 8 BC. This is where it gets fun. Greek word used for governor here is not like us. Like, if I tell you that somebody is the governor of Illinois, how many people is that? That's one. <laughs> that was not nice. I'm not repeating that because I know what you meant. When I tell you that somebody is governor in Montana, how many people is that? One. We have a technical term in our system for governor. Rome didn't. A governor was somebody who was in charge, who was running things. The reason why Quirinius was there as a general is because there was rebellion. Hey, I had to smack some people. So if there's rebellion and you're commander of the armies, who's in charge around here? You are. Hence, Quirinius is governing in Syria around 8 BC. Now, you know what you're thinking, but we got Jesus born between 6 and 4. 8 BC is now, now we're no longer too late. We're now what? We're too early. Well, rebellion. How many people are going and counting during the middle of a war? Like, if you need to go register for the census and they're shooting in the front yard, are you going to go dodge bullets so you can fill out your paperwork at the post office? No, I'm, no, I'm good. I'll do it tomorrow, or I'll do it whenever you two stop shooting at each other and it might be safe, or I'll go online. Well, they didn't have this option, and when they were fighting, it wasn't shooting at each other. It was literally armies assembled, people in the streets with knives and swords and all sorts of good things. You also have Herod causing general chaos and delay by killing three of his own children, killing a wife, killing some in-laws. I mean, Herod was, if Herod didn't like the way you put on your suit that morning, you might be up for a, a problem. You had Jewish revolt, you had problems in Syria, you had Quirinius being a noted general. You could see how we commanded you to do it in 8 BC, but by the time the notes got back and forth, and by the time you got the rebellion put down, and by the time you stopped killing your own kids, Herod, when did we get around to actually taking the census? between 6 and 4 B.C. When is Jesus born? Between 6 
and 4 B.C. So while we can try to discredit Luke, it's because we don't have good history. When we get good history and we trust what we dig out of the ground, this makes sense. Luke trusts that you understand the census system. Luke trusts that you understand Quirinius' history because, again, if you're in Luke's time, Quirinius' history is well known. That's like someone looking at you and talking about Richard Nixon. You would know who he is. You would know some of his history. Well, the educated people would. <laughs> but 200 years from now, if someone looks at you and goes, well, tell me about the presidency of Richard Nixon. I've got to go find a book about that. Hang on. Like, as, as case in point, tell me about the history of John Quincy Adams. You're like, I know he was a president, but that's about all I got. Why? Because it doesn't affect you in day-to-day -day life, and unless you have the book in your hand, you don't care. Welcome to our problem with Quirinius. Luke doesn't have that problem. Luke trusts that you know that. This is, again, why when you read your Bible, you have to forget you. You have to forget where you are, what you're doing, and what you know, and figure out what the writer and what his audience knew, what they understood and what they thought, and then it begins to make a little bit more sense. So, with all of that said, we've got a census, verse 3, and everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. All right. Why? Why? <laughs> well, I get why they're counting, but why do they have to go to their own city? I mean, if we call a census, how many of you were born in Rockford? All right, see, notice the, notice the lack of hands. This, Rockford is one of my favorite places on the planet because nobody's from here. <laughs> Nobody is from here. I get a kick. I said there were a few hands. I acknowledged you. Calm down. I get a good laugh because I tell people, yeah, we moved from North Carolina, and then you know what everybody tells me? Where they moved from. <laughs> it's like nobody is from here. It's one of my favorite places for this because nobody is from here. So when we do a census, because we just did one, did you have to go back to Missouri, Arkansas, North Carolina? For crying out loud, I'd have to go back to Connecticut. We don't do that. Why? We just count you where? Where you are. What does Rome care to count? Where you are. They don't care where you came from. I just want to know what. For taxation purposes, I just need to know what. Who are you? Where are you? And do you have any money I can take? This is a concession. Who would care about where you are and where you're from? Not, not God, necessarily. Not the government. Rome doesn't care. They just need the money. Israel would care about where you are from. Leviticus 25. You shall thus consecrate the 50th year and proclaim a release through the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you, and each of you shall return to his own property, and each of you shall return to his own family. This would be a concession by Rome for the Israelites. They care about where they're from because they're supposed to be occupying a promised land that was defined borders by God. Read the second half of Joshua. Everybody skims it because it's boring, but you'll actually see God lays out the borders and the boundaries for all the tribal lands. You occupied them. Now we know every person who has ever been given a piece of property is an excellent manager and never has to sell it or lose it or anything like that, right? Yeah, no, no, that's not how this works. That's not how any of this works. God understood that, but wanted the tribes to occupy their land. An entire economic system in Israel arises out of this. You could sell a piece of property because you were destitute. It would return to your family in the year of Jubilee. That would actually affect the purchase price because if the Jubilee year is 47 years from now, that property is worth a lot more than if it's next year, isn't it? You're not going to pay full price for a property. You've got to give back to the family in a year and a half. So you would change the purchase price. This is important. So for the Jews, 
to count for the census, they want to be counted in their ancestral land. This is a concession. Also, the timeline stuff we mentioned is why there's a crunch on this. Because let's be honest, if you're, if you're Joseph and you need to make a 70-mile trip, you, you taking a woman who's nine months pregnant, if you can help it? No! Because remember, this is not piling in the back of the minivan and driving. This is riding or walking. And riding isn't exactly comfy either. <laughs> Why do it? Well, because the census was ordered in 8 BC. We're around 6 to 4 BC, and we haven't counted it yet. Do you think Caesar's getting a little annoyed? Do you think Caesar likes being annoyed? Do you think anybody else likes annoying Caesar or having Caesar annoyed with them? No. We need the census done, and we need it done when? Now. Yeah, yesterday. Get your butt home. Get counted. This is why we're in a hurry. This is why they're traveling. Verse 4. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house of the of the house and family of David. We covered some of this last week. We won't go over it all again, but I do have a question. What's a Bethlehem? It's not a small town in Pennsylvania, right? No, it, it actually is. I've actually sent mail from Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. It's not as big a deal as you think it would be. It is actually noted. We know where this place is. Unlike Nazareth, that's not mentioned in the Old Testament, Bethlehem actually is. Genesis 35. So Rachel died and was buried on the way to Ephraim. That is Bethlehem. Small. Chosen by God. What do I mean by chosen by God? Micah chapter 5. As for you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you, one will go forth for me to be a ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. Whose goings forth, whose traveling is eternal? Is that a long list of people? Remember, there's a difference between eternal and immortal. Something that is immortal is something that has no end, but it has a what? A beginning. Something that is eternal has no end, but also has no beginning. It has, I'm sorry, did I say that backwards? Something that is eternal has no end, but also has no beginning. So who would have goings forth from eternity? How many people? One. What's his name? That's God. So in order for Micah's prophecy to be true, from Bethlehem must come whom? God. This is, again, why we talk about pictures. When you read your Old Testament, think through, how does this get me closer to Christ? How does this advance the overall narrative of Scripture? And I'll use those two terms interchangeably because we always talk about Bible stories, and I, I'll say the same thing, you know, like the story of Noah, the story of Samson, and, and I hate it, and every time I do it, part of my brain cringes because they're not stories. It's a historical record. The technical term is a historical narrative, but makes me sound hoity-and-toity when I say the narrative of Samson. So I say the story and kick myself every time I do it. All of the little pictures that you have. So God with us in Isaiah, the promise of a new covenant in Jeremiah, the promise of ruler from the clan of Judah in Genesis 49, the promise of Micah where God coming from Bethlehem are all meant to be put together as you're reading so that you actually get a picture. Why? This was not so that someone would be sitting there going, all right, 
this is here, and this is here, so I'm going to plant my flag and wait and stare at Bethlehem until somebody comes out. <laughs> Not the point. The idea was, when this person shows up, you have what? You, you have a checklist. We, we got boxes here. Do you check this one? Okay, yes, you do. Do you check this one? Okay, yes, you do. Do you check this one? Oh, no, no, no. What do we know about God's prophecies and promises? They are what percent accurate? So the minute we get a guy who's making the claim who doesn't check a box, what do we do? You go get the heavy rocks from Deuteronomy and you throw them at him multiple times. That's the command. When the false prophet arises, you stone him to death. And again, biblical stoning, not the, man, the state list is too long now, not the, what, Washington, Oregon, California, Colorado, Illinois stones, okay, the, the, the one with the rocks. Used to be able to say, not the, not the Oregon stone. Now it's like 27 states. Got to get better jokes. It's meant to be shown. It's meant to be a picture so that when Jesus comes, we go, all right, this is another one. What do you mean he's born of Bethlehem? I thought he was from Nazareth. Well, there was a census, okay? Oh. Once again, whose timeline, whose who's schedule, whose orchestration are we working on? God's. Second lesson. You walk around in daily life thinking about Bethlehem? Probably not. Most Israelites didn't either. Hence the prophecy in Micah. Too little to be among the clans of Judah. It was small. It was insignificant. Oh, see, any time you are told in your Bible that someone or something is small and insignificant, you know what you should do? Keep reading and paying attention because what's about to happen? <laughs> God uses consistently throughout your Bible the small and the, the, the unimportant. Uh, Psalm 147. He heals the brokenhearted. He binds up their wounds. He counts the number of the stars and gives names to all of them. Great is our Lord, abundant in strength. His understanding is infinite. That's your contrast. Moses tells the Israelites this in Deuteronomy 7. He tells them, it's not because you were numerous or great that God has chosen you, but because you are insignificant, God has chosen Every time God uses the lowly, the downtrodden, and the insignificant, who gets the credit? God does. And what do we realize? You couldn't have pulled this off, which means he did. And it's another reminder of how great and mighty God is, not how great and mighty we is. Which is an important reminder because, again, what's our first step of the gospel? Us bad. Us needing to be brought low. Who are the ones who inherit the earth? The meek inherit the earth. Those who are hungering, hungering and thirsting for righteousness. The poor in spirit. Those who, as James 4 would tell you, are humble before God and exalted in him, not by themselves. Matthew 10, Jesus gives you the same lesson. Do not fear them. There is nothing concealed that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the darkness, speak in the light. And what you hear whispered in your ear, proclaim upon the housetops. Do not fear those who kill the body but are, but are unable to kill the soul. Rather, fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a cent? And yet, not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So do not fear, you are more valuable than many sparrows. This is one of the lessons that we... Uh, we don't learn on a daily basis. I've made this argument. I will continue to make this argument because I think it makes sense. When we talk about sin and breakdowns of human relationships and how we function in this world, I think you can narrow them down to one of two things just about every single time. One is idolatry, typically of who? Us. The second one, who are you afraid of? 
in general? Who are we most afraid of? Other people, our failures, what other people might think about us, what other people might say about us. What's the beginning of wisdom? Fear of the Lord. Notice, Proverbs mentions it multiple times, the beginning of knowledge and the beginning of wisdom is the fear of God. What's the difference between knowledge and wisdom? Knowledge is knowing things. Wisdom is knowing what to do with the things that you know. Why is the fear of the Lord the beginning of wisdom? Because when I am more afraid of God than I am of you, I think differently. I react to what you say differently. I interact with you differently. I deal with this world differently when I understand that God is in charge as opposed to putting other people in charge. And other people includes me. It matters because when I recognize that I am brought low, he is exalted, high and lifted up. What am I afraid of? What is this place going to do to me? You want a great example of this? Rewind 2020. Don't, like, literally, if you have that ability, please. I don't think anybody wants to do this all again. But what has been revealed more than anything else in this world this year? Fear. How many people are terrified? How many people have buried the thought of their own mortality? How many people have not given any thought to anything beyond the fact that there's a day I may close my eyes and they won't open again? It's not a fun conversation. We don't want to have it. Nobody wants to have it. But what do we know is true? This is the punchline of the book of Ecclesiastes. The end of every person is the same. Fear God and keep his commandments because he brings every act to judgment, whether good or evil. In this year, millions, maybe hundreds of millions of people around the world have been confronted with what? I'm going to die. And I've never thought of that before. Good. Think of it now. Process it now and realize, for what am I living for? Because when I'm the biggest thing in my world, what's the worst thing that could happen to me? I could die. Which means, how will I react in this world? See, now you start to see how people are thinking. Now you start to see why people are fighting, why people are yelling and screaming about their, their justice where. Now. Not in eternity with God, but now. But when I recognize that God is bigger, that God rules and reigns, that he will bring every act to judgment. I don't need my justice now. I would like it now, absolutely, but I don't need it now because I know it'll come where? In God's timing, in God's kingdom. I don't have to be afraid of what this world will do because my perspective and priorities are higher. They are right because I see correctly. Understanding his greatness versus our failure and loneliness changes how you see things. This is how the gospel works in us. We've talked about this before. I don't change your behavior by telling you to do better. Feels like it some days, but I don't try to, I promise. What do I want to do? If I want to change how you live, if I want to change how I live, what do I first have to do? I have to change what I want and change how I think. Because how I think about this world is determined by what I want from this world. Change what I want. There's what the Holy Spirit does in salvation. By understanding that God is good, that God is great, and that he alone saves, that brings me low, that brings me to the foot of the cross, that brings me to a place where I can look up to him, and then the Holy Spirit can do his work. I am changed, I am lifted up in him, and what I want is now different in this world. What I live for is different in this world, and what functions then from that 
is in line with those desires and beliefs. All right, verse 5. You know what? Go back one. Yeah, stay right there. So he's traveling to Bethlehem to the house of David, verse 5, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. Now, I've asked this once already. Let's dive into this a little bit more. Excuse me. How many of you want to go on a 70-mile journey by, you know, mule, donkey, and cart with a woman who is eight to nine months pregnant? Mike is apparently a glutton for punishment because he's like, I'm in, I'm going. If you're Joseph, why are you bringing Mary along? Why? All right, maybe she doesn't want to stay by herself. Maybe she needs to register herself. There was a poll tax for, uh, for women over 12. Maybe she saw the fulfillment from Micah, and she's like, you're going to Bethlehem, and there's a prophecy from Bethlehem, and I'm about to pop, so let's go. Maybe it's not safe to leave her by herself. Remember what we read in Deuteronomy 22 last week. I mean, maybe her family has disowned her. Technically, she's, she's maybe not supposed to even be with Joseph yet. Remember how this goes, Matthew 1. The birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. Now remember, according to the law, what, what is Joseph within his rights to do? Report her to her parents, report her to city elders, and we go get the big heavy rocks. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. Actually, give Joseph some credit here. I, I could have you killed, but I'm feeling a bit benevolent today. So anyway, But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid. Take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. So, Notice again why we don't make a big deal out of the mess-ups in the names, because there's no mess-up. You think Matthew was like, well, he's supposed to have this name, but he's got this name. One's a picture, one's a name. One's a type, one's a fulfillment. These things matter. Pay attention to these things as you read through. Either way, where's Mary supposed to be for this birth? Bethlehem. Do we care why? No, because who's going to get her there? God is. Maybe God uses Deuteronomy 22. Maybe God uses the anger of the family. Maybe God uses the keeping things quiet. Who knows what God uses, but he uses what? Whatever is there to get Mary to the place that she needs to be. So, verse 6. While they were there, the days were complete for her to give birth. Doesn't tell us how long. That's why I said she's eight, nine months pregnant. We're not exactly sure, but at some point in this process, nature works. And she gave birth to her firstborn son. Stop. Luke is not an idiot. We've seen this a little bit with Quirinius in Syria, right? Luke is pretty nuanced. He knows his history. He knows his leadership. He knows the laws. He knows a lot of things. I told, I warned you we were going to throw some people under the bus. This is, this is where we do it. She gave birth to her firstborn son. Is there a word for onlyborn son? Yes. Did Luke use it? No. 
No, he did not. There is no biblical warrant for the perpetual virginity of Mary. It doesn't exist. It just doesn't exist. You have to go outside of Scripture, outside of the Bible, to find it. The Bible is actually quite clear in places like Luke 8. His mother and brothers came to him, and they were unable to get to him because of the crowd. And it was reported to him, your mother and your brothers are standing outside wishing to see you. Where did they come from? Where did the sisters that are mentioned later come from? See, you're supposed to believe that the, the only good historical answer for this is that Joseph had children by a first wife who died or something, and then he marries Mary. <laughs> Doesn't really work because you wouldn't have the same betrothal period in that situation because there would be no need for Joseph to prepare a house. There would be no need for him to have to send her away because she would have already, they would have announced the engagement, they would have been married, and they would have been done with. There wouldn't have been the typical engagement. The fact that there is a typical engagement period mentioned, uh, as described with Matthew and Luke, tells you that Matthew isn't dealing with a second family. He himself is dealing with a family and a function. Those kids came from someplace, and they came from who? Mary. Firstborn, not onlyborn. Be very careful. I've said this before. I will say it again. Go to your Bible. If you cannot justify something from Scripture and your argument takes you away from Scripture, then you have left the secure grounding that Christ provides. What's the foundation upon which we are supposed to build our lives? What did Jesus tell you to build your life, your life on? The rock. Who's the rock? Jesus is the rock. How do you know anything about Jesus? Did you sit in your living room one day and go, hamana, 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 and get zapped? No. Sometimes you wish it was easier like that, and that would just be a lot simpler, wouldn't it? I just I say my right bippity-boppity-boo, I get whacked upside the head, and now I know stuff. We don't get that. We get what? We get a Bible. This is why Peter himself tells you, when he went up the mountain, he saw Jesus. He saw the glory. He saw the shining. What, is, what does Peter then tell you to do in 2 Peter 1? Read your Bible. We saw everything, but instead we have the prophetic word made certain. We have the prophecies, we have the promises, we have the writings of the people of God explaining what? Explaining the work of God, which culminates in who? Culminates in Christ. Go back to your Bible. If you cannot get back to your Bible on something, then you cannot stand on a firm foundation. That's the difference between firstborn and onlyborn. Look, she gives birth to her firstborn son. Now stop. What rights does this child now have? What has been made a big deal of uh, multiple times as we have read through the David, as we have read through Joseph's story? He's of the tribe of, D of David. He's from the line of Judah. What will his adopted son have as right? Everything. Remember, you can't disinherit the adopted kids. You could disown your kids if they were allowed, but if your adopted kids allowed, you can't disown him. You're stuck. Jesus now stands in the line because of Joseph, because of the family line. This is what you saw in Luke 1. What was the promise of the angel? He will be great. He will be called Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. That's not an earthly king. That's an eternal king, one whose goings forth are from eternity. Today is phone day. This is awesome. <laughs> I remembered mine, so for once it's not me. <laughs> and you, 
So one of the great love the uh, joys of a cell phone is if you want to put your phone on silent, you scroll down and you hit the button, right? Until it makes noise when you don't want it to, and then it's like, <laughs> it won't go off. It won't do it. Why won't it do it? <laughs> that's because you're part of the evil cult, but that, that's neither here nor there. Yes, see, that's the problem, because you, you, I finally muted it, and then I don't remember to unmute it. So but that's neither here nor there. No, Jesus now stands in the line because of where God has placed <laughs> See? <laughs> because of where God has placed You aren't the first one. It's all right, Jay. We still love you. <laughs> because of where God has placed him, because of who the family is, all of the promises, all of the things, the, the son of the woman, the prophet who sees God face to face, the... My brain just stopped working. Um, <laughs> the, the tribe of Judah who will inherit the throne, the eternal king from 2 Samuel 7, all of the big pictures, but also all of the smaller pictures, all of the little ones, the prophecy from Micah, the promise from Isaiah, the new covenant that will be put together from Jeremiah, even to little pictures like what you could see in the work of Samson are all pointing to this singular birth, which is what, meant to accomplish what? Oh, look, God has entered in. Now we know how we're supposed to live. No, God has entered in to save his people from their sins. Um, we didn't sing it this year. We may, I, may, I may see if I can draft somebody to sing it for the Christmas Eve service. But if you want to put something in perspective, go look up a great Christmas song. It's about the cross. You will be blessed. You can find it on YouTube. It's a wonderful listen. It's about the cross because it takes the point of Christmas and puts it in the right perspective, which is this is not about child only in a manger. This is about God himself coming down to rescue and redeem his people. So she gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in cloths, and laid him in a manger because there was no room for him in the inn. Isn't that what we do every time a, an important person has a kid? <laughs> no! goes to show you just how rich we are now in this world. I mean, it, how many people are actually still in this country born outside of hospitals? <laughs> we talk about the blessings of God. I mean, you, you, I mean you'll, get, like, you'll get this every year, right? There'll be like four or five news stories a year where some kid was born in the back of a Chevy on the way to the hospital because the snowstorm stopped him and stuff. And we're all talking about, look, it's amazing. Why? Because where do children get born? In a hospital, in a sterile environment with nurses and gloves and hazmat suits. And when the kid's born, they put the low jack thing on the ankle. And, you, Dad, you have no rights because every time somebody comes in the room, they scan the kid and they scan mom. And then they do something, they scan the kid and they scan the mom. And if you go anywhere near that door with that low jack, the alarms go off. It's, it's unbelievable. God was born into a world where they laid him, laid him in a manger because there was no room for him in the inn. By the way, just as God promised. Isaiah 53. Who has believed our message? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up like a tender shoot, like a root out of parched ground. He has no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised, and we did not esteem him. This is an insult nowadays, right? Like when your kids come in and leave the door open, what do you ask them? 
Were you born in a barn? God was. <laughs> Maybe you should start going, yes, I was, just as the Messiah. And then see how quickly someone smacks you. <laughs> because you would deserve it at that point. No. This is not stately. This is not royal. Why? The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to do what? To serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The royal treatment is not here. It is not supposed to be here because the king, while he is born, is not here to claim his kingdom on earth. He is here to initiate it and to inaugurate it. If you want royalty, if you want stately, if you want grandeur, you have to wait. Revelation 19. I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire, and on his head are many crowns, and he has a name written on him which no one knows except himself. He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his, his name is called the Word of God. The armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword, and I'm sorry. Just lost my spot. So that with it he may strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. And he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And if you want to just hear that in a way that will make your skin, you know, get all goosebumpy, go listen to the, uh, the hallelujah part of Handel's Messiah, because that's the soprano line. And that's what they're continually reminding you of. He is King of kings and Lord of lords forever and ever and ever and ever. You want stately royalty, you have to wait until the end. Christian, this is where we are. This is what we're doing. We're waiting. Just like every believer throughout history, just like everyone since the garden, we are sitting and walking in faith, knowing that he is good, and that his promises endure. And if you don't get that, Christmas will make no sense. Can't. Because you will focus on all the right things, and you will see the meek and mild baby in a manger, and you will forget that that meek and mild is the powerful and the almighty. And you will see the weak and the helpless, and you forget that he is the infinitely strong. And you will see the failure of people and you will fail to see the conquering work of God. We haven't focused on it this year because I thought it was more important to actually get our perspective right, but hope, love, joy, peace, none of those things make any sense in a world not defined by God. What are you hoping if you're the thing on the throne? I hope in me? Have you met me? I have. Don't hope in me. How do I define what is love by a world standard? If you're a Saturday Night Live fan, you start doing this number. Because we don't have a definition for love. I mean, if you want to see how broken our definition of love is, have you seen the way we treat marriage and dating today? It's a nightmare. Because there's no concept of what love is of other people or of ourselves. Where's the joy in a world that is falling apart and crumbling around us if what we are is the pinnacle of everything? What am I joying in? Eh, I have no idea. 
And where is my peace? Everything in this world becomes a battle. Everything in this world becomes a fight because who do I have to take care of? Me. Who do I have to be afraid of? Everybody else. But when I understand that God is on his throne, I can look at this place and go, peace. Why? God is on his throne. I'm worried about what God thinks. And in Christ, he is pleased with me. (laughs) I don't care what any of you people think. And do you remember the first time that someone you had a crush on said they liked you? You're just like, it's like, go watch the Rudolph. She thinks I'm cute. Did he care what anybody else thought in that moment? No, because Clarice said what? You're <laughs> Christian, in Christ, the almighty God of the universe says, mine, beloved, holy, righteous, clean, and secure in me. Who cares what anybody else thinks? That's my peace. That's my joy. That's my hope. That's where my love is centered. And everything else will fall into place because everything else will be in line with who he is and what he says. Recognize that as we worship, as we live, that we have a God who has gone through all of this so he can get to that. So that he can usher in a kingdom that is eternal and will reign. And he will bring us with him because that is what he has promised. Let's pray. Again, Lord, we thank you for the good works that you have done, for the blessings that you have provided, for the joy that you have given, for the peace that you bestow. Lord, center our hearts, change our vision, that we would see this world rightly in light of who you are, what you have done, that we would study your word with fresh eyes, seeing your promises and your fulfillments, seeing your great and glorious work. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Silent night, holy night, all is gone, all is bright, round yon virgin mother and child, Shepherds quake at the sight.
Just a couple quick reminders. Remember Sam and Shelby this week. If you get a chance, give them a call. I know they would appreciate it. Um, beyond that, 7 o'clock Christmas Eve, we'll be back. And if I don't see you again, have a Merry Christmas. Let's pray. Again, Lord, as we leave, let us see you rightly. Let us study your word correctly and let us live in this world with a vision upon you and all that you are and all that you do. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. <laughs>